In this country, we believe that there should be freedom for all, even though not all of us believe in it. Join Tom and Chase as they explore politics, economics, and everything else that threatens your individual liberty. This is The Freeform Podcast. All right, guys, we are live. Welcome to Free For All, episode 11. Yeah, what's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in to the 11th episode now of the Free For All podcast. As always, please make sure to like and subscribe and follow the show on uh, Instagram at our handle Free For All Podcast and on Twitter at FFA Podcast 1776 in order to keep up to date with everything that's going on right now. Also remember that our show is available wherever you guys listen to your podcasts, whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. We truly appreciate every single one of you that listens to us every single week and hope that you share with your liberty-minded friends as we continue on this really bizarre journey together. Um, I had a lot of different stuff going on this week, and my preparation for the show was not as extensive as it normally is. Um, a, a lot of this was last minute for me, so bear with me as we go through. We've got a couple different topics that we wanted to discuss this week, including the Democrat takeover scheme and the Grammys and the separate graduation ceremonies that uh, Columbia University announced um, and a, a couple other different things. There seemed to be a lot of stuff that happened this week. And Tom paid a little bit more attention to some of this stuff than I did. So uh, I think Tom's going to kind of lead us into some of these topics as we discuss them. Yeah, definitely. So uh, to kick everything off, Let's uh, let's talk about this Democrat takeover scheme. So obviously, that's what I'm going to choose to title the episode, because overall, this just plays into their long term goal of taking everything over. And uh, yeah, um, just, just kind of an example of what they're doing currently to do that is the Democrats right now are trying to pass this bill, uh, which got passed the House, but thankfully not the Senate. And it's called the For the People Act or H.R. 1. And, and this would do a lot of irreversible harm to America. And even though it won't be passed, like it didn't get past the Senate or I don't even know if the Senate voted on it. They just predicted that it wouldn't get passed and they kind of gave up. Uh, it, it was a very slim margin that it didn't pass by. So the Democrats are definitely going to try again with slightly different terms. And remember that the Democrats own every branch of Congress or I'm sorry, every branch of government pretty much right now, except for the Supreme Court. Uh, they do have a 50-50 tie in the Senate. So if every Democrat were to vote for a bill then it would obviously pass the House, it would move on to the Senate, and Kamala Harris would be the tying vote as the vice president if they wanted to pass something. But apparently some of the Democrats weren't on board with this, uh, so they're going to have to go back to the drawing board. But rest assured, I mean, they're really going to try to hammer this out uh, no matter what, because that's what the Democrats do, whether it takes 20 years or whatever, it's, it's, um, they're, they're always going to get their way. I mean, like I said on a previous episode, we never move to the right as a nation, we always move to the left. But uh, moving forward, uh, the main thing that H.R. 1 tries to do is expand what the left calls voting rights in America. So they want to restore voting rights to felons, and they want to register every person uh, that's eligible in the U.S. to vote. So really, at the end of this, Democrats are using this quote-unquote voting rights bill to alienate anyone who doesn't stand for it, because obviously you're racist if you don't, if you don't agree with this, uh, saying that you want quote-unquote Jim Crow 2.0. And the publication Mother Jones, which is a liberal publication, as you could probably imply from that name, uh, their resident voting expert, which is really just a sad job title. It's, it's almost made up. It's some soy boy sitting in a booth somewhere. Uh, 
you know, this guy says it's really the most significant democracy reform bill since the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965. Um, I, I, I really don't agree with that. But of course, what they leave out is that the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Acts were passed by a Republican majority in Congress in the 60s. Um, and the president at the time was Lyndon B. Johnson, and he was a Southern Democrat who historically have been very racist. And I mean, you could look these people up. And while uh, Democrats are now saying that Republicans are trying to support Jim Crow if they don't go along with this bill, they're going to leave out the fact that Jim Crow laws came from the Democrat South. They came from all these Southern states like uh, Alabama, Mississippi, that were really Democrat at the time. And unfortunately, and I don't agree with this approach, but it was the feds that had to come in and force these this integration with the schools and everything because of these Democrat governors, you know, all their racism and Jim Crow. Did did John Morgan have any hand in writing the For the People Act? Sounds like something that he would do. I'm not even going to lie. He probably did. And that's probably what it, it it might even be like a big advertisement for him because he's he's the biggest personal injury law. For, if you don't know who John Morgan is, he's uh, a huge lawyer in Florida, personal injury lawyer, obviously, like the the, the biggest slime bag available or slime ball or whatever. But. He's the biggest personally personal injury lawyer in the country. Big Democrat. He supports the Democratic Party in Florida. He tried to get uh, marijuana legalized, all this other stuff. So I would not doubt that he is financially backing this. I don't know how significantly. And this is almost like an homage to him. It, it would be pretty funny. He has been out of the state for a while now. He's been in, I want to say, Hawaii or somewhere out in the Caribbean for a couple months now doing God knows what. But um, he's definitely been out of the state of Florida and there's no telling what he's been up to. Well, maybe he took the Lolita Express. He's at uh, Little St. James Island taking the the Faustian toll here. But go ahead. Yeah, but um, going back to, you know, this this whole bill that they're trying to pass, you know, it would definitely be on par with what we've said time and time again, which is the left are the very thing that they claim that they hate so much. Um, you know, al- almost all of the policy that they claim uh, to be racist or destructive policy is policy that was created and passed by their own party. And they do this with just about everything. And it, it's very it's it's very hypocritical of them to. Um, go and call all of this policy racist and say that it needs to be abolished, but they're the ones that passed it in the first place. They're the entire reason that any of this policy exists. And so to sit here and now uh, when it's convenient for them some, you know, 60, 70 years later after the fact um, for them to turn around and now say this policy that we that we told you 70 years ago was good now it's racist and you're a racist if you if you agree with it but they're the ones that came came up with it it, 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 it the logic does not follow yeah I, I don't really understand they it, it goes with the common leftist term of or common leftist theme of hijacking other people's terms and using it against them like one that comes to mind i i wrote a an essay when i was in college and the word was liberalism it was like the professor, the prompt was like, choose uh, a word that means a lot to you and describe it or whatever. And I, I took, I chose the word liberalism because as a libertarian or as a classic liberal, as they used to be called, you know, I support liberty. And obviously uh, a lot of people that call themselves liberal today, and I made this point, you know, the main point in my essay, they don't, 
care about liberty. They just want to control your choices here and there. And all the while, they're saying that they're they're doing all this stuff to support universal rights or whatever and help minorities, but it's completely the opposite. Yeah. Um, so, you know, another thing that the Democrats want to do is remove the filibuster. And, and the filibuster, for anybody who isn't very familiar with that term, is basically it's a feature of the Senate where uh, the opposing side can get up and speak before they vote on a bill in an effort to convince the other side or delay the passage of the bill. More often than not, filibustering is used not to convince the other side because they both hate each other. There's no point in even doing that. It's more so to delay passage of the bill. Um, Usually when you see senators filibustering a bill, um, they're talking about something completely off topic and stupid, like uh, their favorite chocolate bar or something like that. It's, it's, It's almost always completely irrelevant to whatever's on the floor yeah i mean sometimes not always but yeah there is like the rule that you have to be talking the whole time and uh yeah a lot of people will do that they'll just like say bullshit or they'll say uh i gotta go to the bathroom or whatever and they'll have somebody else come up and talk for five minutes while they go to the bathroom and then they can come back and go on for another three hours or whatever but i it it was uh rand paul who who went on i think uh pretty famously a few years ago railing against the patriot act you know that when they were trying to renew it as uh what was it was it the freedom act or whatever he filibustered yeah, free my boy snowden yeah well yeah exactly freedom for everyone uh that's uh in government or whatever to spy on you but uh yeah Rand paul basically filibustered for like eight hours and i don't think necessarily he got off topic but i mean i just i just think that's impressive for obviously anybody to do that but there are good people that use it for good good reasons, like Rand Paul uh, filibustering about you know the debt ceiling going up or um, Planned Parenthood or like or stuff like the Patriot Act, stuff like that's good. But like obviously, like we said, most of the time they're just going to delay it, and you're not actually convincing anybody because they're so strictly on party lines. And obviously, uh, you know the aisle is split or whatever, both literally and metaphorically. Yeah, so. I mean, the filibuster is a good thing. It's it's a good function. Like it keeps government sort of limited. It doesn't allow them to act too fast and kind of constrict too fast. But moving on, I was uh like I, I was just watching Fox and a few of the primetime hosts were speculating why they want to remove the filibuster. And one reason is that if you have a 60 vote majority in the Senate, you can override the filibuster and pass the bill. You could just say oh, you want to filibuster? Screw you. Bill's passed and go home. But, uh, the, you know, the people on Fox were saying that the Democrats want to do this because they're trying to do things like things like H.R. 1 now that will pass or not pass by thin margin. And especially since they have a 50-50 split in the Senate, they want to get rid of the filibuster so that they can get this done quickly with the least amount of opposition and the least amount of media coverage, basically. It would be pretty similar to not the most recent stimulus bill, the one that passed back in January. People like like AOC, I think I want to say we talked about this, but we might not have. Um, people like AOC were actually tweeting things that, you know, I kind of agreed with. The fact that they didn't have time to read this bill, um, the fact that it was just shoved in their faces, it was dropped on their desk the morning that they were supposed mm-hmm. to vote on it. And this we're talking about thousands of pages um, that they had to read and then go and vote on in like in less than six yeah. or seven hours. 
And AOC was talking about the fact that it's not enough time. Unfortunately, despite that, you know, her saying that she mm-hmm. still voted yes on it. But it's the same kind of thing is that's what they're trying to get rid of is they're trying to get rid of any and all tools that can be used to keep things from being passed expediently. Yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'm fine with getting rid of tools. Uh, you know, I, I want government to move as slowly as possible, because as, as we've seen, they don't repeal anything. They're just ratcheting up everything. So the more limitations on that, the better. Uh, so, yeah, like one improvement that I think would be nice since they don't have time to read the bill, which is intentional, obviously. And they're always trying to do these uh, filibusters to delay it. I mean, one one thing that I would like is uh, maybe if somebody did a filibuster and what they did is they sat up there and they just kept reading the bill. Everybody had to hear it. And maybe there should just be like Congress has to mandatory, like sit through a session where this bill is read to them and they have to like take notes or whatever, because uh, obviously they're voting on something that they have no idea. But maybe the like I said, maybe the filibuster helps to will help to delay and, you know, give people more time to to think about the bill and debate it a little bit more, even though they don't always take stuff from it. But removing this filibuster is just kind of another slippery slope like this voting rights issue where the Democrats are trying to do a thing that will significantly reduce the amount of representation uh, that a minority party or ideology has over the government. Why I say that is. Obviously, the side that's the minority in government is going to be the one filibustering, delaying, whatever. So that that's their little that's their little perk of being the minority in that situation. But um, you know they want to remove that, and the felons voting is just gonna gonna be an obvious like feeder. It's like the Democrats brought back your right to vote. Who are you gonna vote for? The Democrats. So the Democrats gave you money. Who are you gonna vote for? The Democrats. So they just suck you in with these government programs or these freebies, or they they do a favor for you. And you just kind of have this IOU your whole life or whatever, or at least in your mentality, if whether or not you pay attention to politics, which you typically don't if you're a Democrat, you know, they, they just want to vote for Democrats again. So it, in reality, what it's doing is taking power away from minorities. The more and more, you know, you take away things like the filibuster or you add in voting rights for people who uh, are violent criminals. And I'm going to go and link this whole point about the filibuster back to this overarching idea that we have of this democratic takeover, which is that the Democratic Party has devised a strategy or a game plan uh, to take control and secure their power, making it entirely impossible for Republicans to keep them from passing all of this destructive policy. Um, And it's very ironic, given the fact that... um, Obviously, filibustering is used very often, but it makes sense as to why they want it gone now, because they have the power. And and like I said, it's ironic because the Democrats for the last four years while Trump was president used the filibustering tactic mm-hmm. constantly. Um, that's all they did on the Senate floor was filibuster bills any time they had the opportunity to do so. And so it's hilarious to watch them uh, as soon as they get power pivot and say okay we hate filibustering now we're gonna get rid of it yeah i mean it's just really ironic and uh i don't know if i've made this point before or not but you you can see this pattern so when democrats so like for example i've talked about how republicans used to care about the fiscal cliff so when democrats are in control republicans care about freedom they care about spending they care about limited government but when republicans are control 
they don't care about limited government because they're in control. They want the government to be able to do as much and they want to enforce their uh, their policies on everybody else. So when Trump was in office, Democrats were caring so much about freedom and the Constitution. Like they were making speeches. Chuck Schumer is making speeches talking about the Constitution. Like, are you fucking kidding me? This is so ridiculous. And um, likewise, I mean, Republicans do the same thing. And even though they're closer to actually being constitutionalists for the most part, it's it's just ridiculous. And it's crazy that, you know, you see this this double standard of when parties are in power and when they're not in power because they just want to change the rules. It's I guess it's game theory or whatever, but it's so fucked up. And obviously people need to people need to see this and recognize these patterns because that like like we've said many times, the parties are the same and, you know, they just want to come after your rights. There are two sides of the same coin. They really are. You know, that in, the, in that Mother Jones article that we were referencing before, um, you know, they were talking about how the filibuster, uh, they say the filibuster is, quote, the tool that Southern segregationists used to impede civil rights bills for decades, end quote. And like I just said, it was the Democrats that impeded civil rights. So it's so obvious that this time they just want to remove the filibuster to prevent any discourse because like we've seen, like they're already coming after our rights again. It's it's not even guised anymore. They want to come after your gun rights and they want to come after your uh, your ethnicity, really. I mean, it's crazy. I saw one of our local gun shops posted a gun control bill that's being pushed through um, Congress right now that I think we're going to talk about on maybe next week's episode or the week after that. But yeah, we got to. Uh, it's relevant no matter what. Uh, but that's definitely going to be something that we talk about. Uh, yeah, because like all this stuff in this gun control bill, like if you know anything about guns is absolutely insane and crazy and not realistic at all. And the sad part is that if you don't know anything about guns or if you don't care about gun owners or whatever, or if you're just some Republican douche FUD who wants to send kids to die in some some sand pit and God knows where, um, you know, these people they want to do all these crazy things that are like quote unquote common sense uh, things. And it's just going to fuck stuff up. But overall, like with this whole HR one and you know, the voting rights issue, the filibuster issue, all that, what I want everybody to take away from this segment is the reality that democracy is a scam. It's just the sacred cow taught to you in public school since day one. It's supposed to give everybody a voice and ensure the right things happen ensure the right people get elected, whatnot. Um, but when you see this slippery slope of illegal immigration, all the while they're trying to expand voting rights and welfare to ensure their elections, and I'm talking about the Democrats, um, and at the same time, remove things like the filibuster and states' rights to ensure nobody stands there in their way. I mean, it's crazy. This is peak democracy. We're reaching levels of centralization the United States has never seen before. And they want the ability to have 50.01% of the population control who governs, because that's really what democracy is. Like we've said, it's two wolves and one sheep deciding on what's for dinner. And they want who governs, which will obviously be them for eternity, because the Democrats are giving away free stuff and they're giving away votes. Uh, you know, you got that IOU to them. They, they, w- they just want to control your life. They want to have, have elections in their name for perpetuity. And... They want to control your life. They want to say the government's coming in to help you. Like you could never do anything without the government. You could never build roads. You could never, you know, figure out education without the government. And 
it it you see this going down this road where hundreds of years go by and the government does more and more things and then it just seems that people can't imagine a world where the government wouldn't do that thing so like for an ex- example uh social security is just one of those things that it's here now and it was never in existence for thousands of years of you know humans and and now people can't understand how the hell you would retire without it i mean it's just kind of ridiculous and people don't understand the whole context of the situation basically you know with this whole democracy thing i don't know why people would choose to have their own choices taken away that's all democracy is you're just deciding to fuck somebody over and then the next week it's you that's getting fucked over and people don't even realize that. Yeah. And, uh, it's definitely important for people to, for people to see things, um, plain and simple like that, for people to understand that the Democrats are not what they claim to be. And they're, they're not being advocates for, uh, for different people groups. They're not being advocates for all these people that they claim to love and cherish. You know, they're simply there for control and nothing else. And they will do uh, whatever is in their power to maintain that control and to, uh, to fool enough people into, into giving them that control again in four years and then again in four years. But, you know, ba- based on the rate that things are going, uh, it may not even be four years anymore. We could get to the end of this presidency and, uh, and we have a dictator. We don't, we don't know at this point, but that seems to be the direction that we're headed. Um, yep. aside from, aside from that topic, we told you that we had a couple different segments for you guys on the show this week. So the next one that we wanted to get into, uh, was these separate graduation ceremonies that Columbia university has announced. They're going to host six different, uh, or six additional graduation ceremonies for various groups of people just to be politically correct in doing it. So uh, even though these these graduation ceremonies are going to be hosted online, they're still going to have ones for different races and income groups. Does this sound f- vaguely familiar to anybody at all? <laughs> uh, yeah, it sounds familiar to Democrats, uh, especially the ones that have been Democrats uh, for 100 years, <laughs> like Joe Biden. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is from the New York Post who reported on this. And uh, the article says, uh, just here's an excerpt from it. Uh, The New York City School website, you know, Columbia University, details graduation ceremonies for Native, Asian, Latinx, and Black students taking place for Columbia College, Columbia Engineering, General Studies, and Barnard College at the end of April. Another dubbed FLI graduation is for, quote, first generation and or low income community. And this, uh, the school also hosts a lavender graduation for the LGBTIAQ plus community. And uh, that, that's the end of the excerpt. As if it wasn't bad enough that we're, you know, obviously we, for the last uh, year or so, we've already been having these online graduations due to the COVID epidemic and everything, um, which in my opinion, take away the prestige and honor of the ceremony to begin with. You know, a lot of people uh, go through college and some people just kind of breeze by with with crappy grades and uh, do the bare minimum. But there are, um, by and large, a lot of people 
that go into college wanting to better themselves, whether they get a good education or not. Um, they go into college wanting to better themselves and want to work hard and do well in their coursework um, and, and learn something to be able to uh, then go on and use that education to get a career for themselves. And in my opinion, it takes away the prestige and honor of all that hard work um, just to begin with. But now what they're doing is segregating these ceremonies by race, gender, income. And it's like the same Democratic Party that said this was oh so bad and non-inclusive back in the 60s when, um, you know, blacks weren't allowed to go to go to um, colleges or graduate from universities and were fighting so that they could um, that they could graduate or they could even go to school with white people are now, like I've said before, they're now pivoting when it's convenient to them and doing the complete opposite of what they did back then. And we've talked about this flip-flopping on things so many times that it seems redundant at this point, but the left pivots on every single issue it's convenient to do so. They want to live in an echo chamber of mindless zombies um, that all do say and, and, and think the same thing until they get a new firmware update installed. So that's what they're <laughs> trying to do here is to create a new echo chamber. Yeah, and it's kind of funny, like, these colleges have to do stuff like this almost because they've subscribed to this agenda of wokeness. And there's obviously going to be students that are on their campus or whatever that are like cutting edge, like hyper uh, cultural Marxists who are going to demand that they do these sort of things. So the college almost has to, and sadly, I, this might just be a trend that continues to go around the country with these graduations, but the college almost has to act preemptively uh, because this wokeness is pretty much eating them up, and they have to they have to subscribe to this because they they can't just put one foot into it and say we're woke and then oh have these uh have these uh, graduation ceremonies that are primarily white or whatever because eighty percent of people that graduate are white or whatever I don't know I'm just making that up but I, it's it's just kind of ironic and a couple other things I realized uh, when you were just talking right now is. Already with this social distancing and people staying in their houses, COVID is pretty much already segregated everybody. Think about it. You're in your home with your family or your friends all the time. When is there when are you ever running into people that you have like a clash of ideas with or you have like a, a really different culture with? I mean, I'm not just talking about ethnicity, I'm talking about like, you know, people who like different things or whatever. I mean, it, it's just really limited right now and it's already like for the irony of we've already kind of been segregated for a year, uh, they they want to go ahead, uh, you know, like you're sitting at home and you're you're on your computer watching a graduation. I mean, hell, even my graduation was that in uh, May 2020, but it's almost already segregated. Like, who are you in danger from if you're already in your house just watching a digital graduation? That's already segregated, and yet they want to take this extra step, and it's just so crazy. Um, and it, it's almost I, I think this is kind of going to backfire because like different ceremonies are almost like getting different trophies or awards because people, you know, they have it subconsciously in their mind, whether or not liberals want to admit it or not that, you know, white people are smarter or whatever. That's why they need to uh, lower the bar for so many minorities to get in college. And eventually it's just going to get built into people's minds. Like, Oh, I went to the black, you know, you, you went to the black graduation or you went to the white graduation. Like it must've been easier to graduate as a black student. I mean, I'm not saying this, like it necessarily is, but it's some mentality is going to be created because of this. And it's, it's just 
reinstating tribalism. It's absolutely insane. It's regressive. Well, yeah, because you sit, you kind of see, you kind of see that um, with how graduations have been more classically, where it's a lot of schools will separate it by the separate school that the that these people went to under that university. So if you went to the school of business yeah. or the school of medicine or or something like that, and so you you know, for example. Um, people that go to the school of medicine and study to become a doctor, they are going to look down upon people that get business degrees or people that get finance degrees or or something like that because yeah. they believe that they had to work harder to get their degree that they are graduating with. And so therefore they have this alpha mentality that, okay, I put in more work, I paid more money, um, my my diploma means more than yours does. Like all I'm trying to to point out is that there are already those kinds of mentalities out there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, at least in that case, you're actually graduating with a different degree. So when I'm talking about different trophies, then in that case, it actually is a different trophy. It's like, you know, you graduate with an engineering degree or a uh, a medical degree. It's it's harder than business or finance. Yeah, I, I accept that as a as a business student. I totally agree with that. That's why I went for business. But um in that case, it's actually a different trophy for an, a different achievement. But now they want to give different trophies for the same achievement. And that is just kind of uh, that's just kind of weird. It's almost like when they uh, say, oh, my God, this we have all these women developers like Bungie, the, the creators or 343. Sorry, the creators of Halo. They're always like, oh, we have all these women developers and all that. And people are like, OK, like it's, it's almost like you're making fun of them by saying, oh, look what this person can do. It's like, look, the monkey can dance, you know. Uh, I know that's going to get sound clip bad, but they're they're talking about LGBT A or IAQ plus, and I don't even know what the hell that means. I assume they mean a bunch of different sexualities, but isn't that kind of non inclusive to the ones that they left out? To be honest with you, I actually had to look this up because I hadn't seen any letters added on to. The, I've seen Q before, but I have not seen um, LGBT IAQ plus. Yeah, for real. Um, so I actually had to look this up and, uh, the definition that I found was, um, a common abbreviation for lesbian, gay, bisexual, pansexual, transgender, genderqueer, queer, intersexed, agender, asexual, and ally community. That's a lot of A's, T's, and G's, and Q's, um, so much so that it's confusing, <laughs> but, um, it's just, it's crazy to see, you know, Tom and I are in our 20s. It's it's crazy to see how much the world has changed over, you know, the course of our lifetimes. When Tom and I were were growing up, it was male or female, and now um we're being taught that uh gender is not your sex organs and that gender is an entirely separate thing and that there are over 300 or 400 different gender identities that exist, and there are probably even more than that, is what they tell us. Um, and it's just like, when does this end? If that's the case, if there's more gender identities that exist, can I, can I identify as like an Apache attack helicopter or something? Is that a thing? Because that's what it feels like. It just feels like people are just making shit up at this point. I sexually identify as an attack helicopter. That's such a good video. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny. Yeah. So you're breaking that down and I'm kind of wondering like, how is asexuality or asexual a sexuality? That's kind of, uh, 
uh, what's it called a paradox. It's funny that you bring it's funny that you bring that up, actually, because um, my roommate in college, um, I uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to name his name. He was one of my roommates during my last year in college. I don't keep in touch with him anymore. Um, he was actually a grad student. I roomed with uh, two grad students in my apartment my last year. And um, he actually, uh, there's one day that I was talking to him and um, I saw this flag in his room and I had never seen it before. And it was a couple different weird colors. It definitely, um, it definitely looked to me like it was something gender related, but I couldn't tell what it was because they were, they're colors that I hadn't seen before. It was not a, a, a normal pride flag. And so I kind of just, just randomly asked him and brought Bro, it up. It's a Middle Eastern city state. Well, yeah, well, I brought it up to him and asked. And he said, oh, it's, um, it's a flag for asexual pride. And I was, like, I was like, what? And I was like, what do you mean asexual? I was like, I thought that was like only a thing in like... Uh, in just like molecular biology, basically. And he was like, oh, no, it's it, it's like an actual gender identity. And I was like, well, I was like, do you care to elaborate? And he was like, well, he goes, asexual means that you don't have sexual attraction to any gender. And basically meaning that you have no interest in reproducing and that you feel absolutely no sexual attraction toward women, men, transgender people, bisexual people, literally anybody. Like you just you're you're kind of in your own bubble and you want to do your own thing and you want to be left alone is basically what it was, which I mean, it, it was definitely fitting to him in the sense that it definitely fit his personality. He was definitely um, he definitely kept to himself. I barely ever saw him and I lived with him for over a year. You know, he, he seldom came out of his room, um, that kind of thing. So I definitely think that that one's probably. Uh, legit, but some of these other ones I can't make sense of. Yeah, gender queer, queer, and I even saw a post online where they were talking about something, and they said queer in the description, and obviously, like this is a hyper leftist page. And I go down in the comments, and somebody's like, "You used a derogatory term more than you said women in this in this uh, in this essay or whatever." And I'm just like, "God, what the hell have we come to?" But Another thing I wanted to pick out from that LGBT uh, acronym or whatever, uh, alphabet, is uh, that they say ally. Ally is like the final thing they put in there. Like, oh, you know, all these, all these uh, sexualities and their allies. Uh, and I said something in our group chat earlier this week is that when you say ally, that kind of implies that they consider others the enemy. And that almost is true because they think, you know, they, they do think that these white people, these white males, whatever, people like me and Chase are like white supremacist Nazi people that hate them and want to, you know, think that they shouldn't have rights or whatever, which it's it's the complete opposite. I think they should be able to do whatever they want, but they're making an enemy out of us and creating the straw man out of us, and it's not fair. And, uh, you know, when you say things like ally, you imply there is enemies and it just goes wrong with all the other Democrat things that are that are supposedly supposed to be good, and they just pit people against each other. It's all divide and conquer. I, I kind of want to piggyback that here for a second, because like we've said numerous times before, this is a libertarian podcast, right? And so a foundational libertarian belief is that we are individualists. We believe 
um, inherently that you are your own decision maker and nobody else can make decisions for you. And so um, we inherently believe that if you are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, whatever, that you have the ability to make decisions for yourself. But and I, I've always said that LGBT rights and everything are human rights. Like, the, like, you know, the ability to marry or love whoever you want. Like, I don't care because it doesn't affect me. Why am I going to be mad um, that you like men or you like women and you're of the same gender? Like that it does not matter to me um, who you choose to love or who you choose to um, sleep with at night or, or, or whatever. Like that, it, that does not matter to me. What what it comes down to for me is when you start trying to bully people into thinking the same way that you do and you start making up all of these um, make-believe terms to describe people and start making things up that go against science that has stood the test of time, stood the test of thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And now, because it's convenient for you or because you have this misconception of uh, hate and you're creating these straw mans and making enemies out of people who aren't your enemies to begin with, that's where I draw the line is because at that point, you are violating the rights of other people and you are prohibiting them from making uh, choices that go against the one that you want them, that you want them to make. And so that libertarians are advocates for the LGBT community um, through and through. But certain people like Tom and I, uh, you know, there's a line to where, where that stops and everything. I am always an advocate for personal rights, but I am an advocate up to a certain point because your rights stop where mine begin. And if, if, if what you're advocating for is an infringement on my rights, I'm out. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's so backwards. And obviously, this is a super regressive idea coming from the people that dub themselves, quote unquote, progressive. I mean, that's, that's been a thing for 100 years. They've called themselves progressive on the left. And I remember just five to 10 years ago, that LGBT lobby was saying that all they want is inclusion. You know, even today, corporations, you know, government agencies, all these universities, what they tout is diversity and inclusion. And that's their whole virtue that guides everything they do. And I just want to ask, how is it diverse or inclusive to have graduation ceremonies that only allow you in if your skin's a certain color or if you have a certain sexuality or you make a predetermined amount of money? Like that that's just so crazy. Well, now and then you you even have these diversity um these diversity requirements that colleges and universities, at least in the United States, are required to meet where um, they have to accept a certain amount of or a certain percentage of applicants that apply to their school from uh, from different genders, from different um, races uh, and ethnicities. That's why when you apply to a lot of these colleges now, you have all of these questionnaires that you have to fill out that are about your gender identity, that are about your race and all these other things because they have to meet these requirements. But the problem that I run into with um, these diversity requirements is that you are prioritizing race, sexuality, and all these superficial things that the left claims that they hate. Um, the left claims that they hate labels so much. And then they're telling these colleges that they have to accept people based on these labels rather than their aptitude for learning. So you could have a white guy or a white female, uh, whoever, whoever you want, a gay white female who applies to a college with 
outstanding test scores, whether it was an ACT, um, an SAT, or, or something of that nature, just incredible test scores. You know, they were involved in college clubs. They were involved in all these um, extracurricular activities. They even did dual enrollment and all this other stuff. And they will get denied because of the fact that they are white. And then they will go and admit a Latino person, a black person, a person of color, if you will, um, who has very mediocre test scores or very mediocre aptitude for learning. And they will admit them solely based on the fact that they are said gender, uh, said race, or something like that, based on their label rather than their aptitude for learning. And that's the problem that I run into. And I think that's why college and university now, um, the value is just dissipating rapidly because the people Mm -hmm. that they're allowing into these these college campuses and are uh, allowing these people into these classrooms, they're not there to learn. All they're there to do is manipulate culture and uh, and free ride off of everybody else. Yeah, I mean, it's not based it's not a system based upon merit anymore. It's a system based upon, you know, people's microaggressions or whatever and how much uh, what's the word? yeah, you know how much of a minority you are, and how many how how you've been disadvantaged or whatever. But they have what's called intersectionality, which basically uh, says that you're a minority in multiple different aspects. So, like if you're a uh, queer uh, black person, uh, transgender or whatever, you're you're intersectional because you have you know it's like an intersection of multiple uh, multiple things that people will uh, shit on you for or whatever. But that's what's ironic this higher intersectionality score, like when you're talking about like a gay black person, you know, they're going to, they're going to admit that person, but then they're going to screw over the other minority, the Hispanic person. That's the the first generation immigrant or whatever that their policy is supposed to help immigrants. And arguably they're disadvantaging people that are even at a higher disadvantage than uh, somebody who is more intersectional, but they just want to judge people not based upon their background or their merit. And the works that they can put out, they just want to judge you based upon uh, the color of your skin. And that's completely antithetical to what Martin Luther King taught. And of course, they tout Martin Luther King. They say, oh, Martin Luther King. Oh, yeah. They like jack off over his birthday every year. And then they don't follow his words. They don't care about the content of people's character. They have the shittiest character. All they do is go around and talk, talk shit about you and say that you're fucked up, say that you, that you're the shittiest person alive. And meanwhile, it's just them. Like it's, it's crazy. (laughs) It's just making everything up and uh, scarecrowing and scapegoating you. And it's just the the whole idea too, is just super regressive. And it's an idea that's coming from the people that dumb themselves as progressive. Right. Like, yeah, that's the point I made a a minute ago. It's, it's so crazy. It's, it's the hijacking of terms and you can say you're one thing and do something completely opposite. And people are so fucking stupid that they, go along with it and they say oh yeah you're a liberal <laughs> but it's crazy uh and, and talking about you know on the topic of race which unfortunately is like the biggest divider in our country right now it seems like that's always the thing that sells the most in the media you know the big thing right now that people are talking about especially with covid happening in 2020 uh they were talking about like anti-asian sentiment and people being racist against asians like that's on the rise or whatever and this was already kind of a narrative and it turns out a few days ago, we're recording this on Friday, uh, some guy in Atlanta shot up a bunch of salons or a bunch of uh, massage parlors, I'm sorry, and 
people are saying that this is a big like hate crime or whatever because six of the people killed were asian out of the eight uh the other two were white there might have been a hispanic person there as well i'm not entirely sure but uh, most of the people were asian that's the point and they're just saying that oh my god this is a hate crime this guy's a white male like he's mentally unstable and all this other stuff and he's allowed to have a gun and obviously the left is hijacking this scenario to push their narrative to push their race and gun narrative it, it's just like a perfect card it's like if you could pay some some idiot to do that they definitely would like i don't see why people think this is so out of the out of the out of the realm of possibility but i don't think this is a false flag because actually if you look at a post from red pillings on instagram he posted something talking about the shooting so this post says you've been lied to about the atlanta shootings and in parentheses, they were not racially motivated. And the first point he makes, uh, it says, six of the people killed were Asian, two were white. Okay, it highlights two were white just because, you know, it wasn't just Asians that were killed. He wasn't just targeting Asian people. And so the second point, the killer told authorities that he was not driven by bigotry and that he had a, quote, sexual addiction, end quote, and saw the businesses as, quote, a a temptation for him that he wanted to eliminate, end quote. And that's what investigators said, which I guess anybody could really say, oh, you know, it wasn't racially motivated. Moving on to the third point. But former housemates that live with the killer said that he had been in rehab previously for sex addiction and that he was deeply religious and could not control his desire to visit massage parlors and engage in sexual acts, something that sent him into deep depression. So this guy is like obviously pretty messed up in the head. Um, may or may not be his fault or whatever that he is so messed up, but obviously he has an issue and he has a sex addiction. So whether or not he, you know, killed the people just because they're Asian or whatever, you kind of got to realize that there's a separate motivation that has absolutely nothing to do with race. And that is that he has this issue and it brings him depression or whatever. And obviously, uh, sex and sex addiction has like a huge effect on the brain. And the last point that was on Red Pilling's post is that housemates also said that they had never heard the killer use racist language or disparage people who were not white. So yeah, so just upon that whole post, I don't like this whole automatically assuming that it's a racial action just because most of the people are Asian. Like that's crazy. So if you have any mass shooting in the US, say if it was a non-discriminate mass shooting, say you know you just you just shot in the air and the bullets landed on people or whatever. A simple random sample of the whole United States in terms of a mass shooting. If you were to just randomly commit one, I think that since the majority of the country, or uh, at least now, is, is, is white, if you were to commit a mass shooting in, say, an airport or whatever, God forbid, please don't do that, but would that be considered an anti-white shooting? Is that something that's a hate crime? Are we going to really just bring this up? I kind of want to bring this a little bit closer to home and use a more, I think it's a little bit more of a better example that I feel like a lot of people can look at objectively because it happened a while back. It's a little more close to home because it happened in Orlando, Uh, but the Pulse shooting, the thing that came out when that happened, a ton of the LGBT community and everything, you know, Pulse was a gay nightclub they were the victims of that mass shooting. And the thing that came out about that after it happened was that it was a hate crime. 
that it was specifically targeted towards gay people. And, and that's why it was at a gay club. Um, this guy hated gay people and he was a bigot and all this other stuff. And they completely glossed over a lot of key facts in that situation, which is that he had ties to terrorist groups, that he was a devout radical Muslim, that he read uh, manifestos about the Taliban and Al Qaeda and all and ISIS and all these other terrorist groups online, that he had plans to uh, go to Syria to fight for ISIS and all these other things that at least from from my educational background, that we are taught to factor into situations like that and to not immediately jump to conclusions and say that it's a hate crime because you have to look at things objectively and you have to look at the every single factor and every single variable of the situation. And so it rubbed me the wrong way that that situation was broadcast as a hate crime because in in my opinion, it hit just about every single threshold to make it a terrorist attack. And, you know, one of the key features of radical Islam is an extreme distaste for gays. Obviously, if that was the sole motivation, that then makes it a hate crime. But because of the fact that there are several other variables, it would then cross the threshold into terrorism rather than a hate crime. And so, unironically, I was talking to my dad a little over a week ago now, and I was telling him about this gun control bill that the left is trying to get passed right now. And I said, I said, I will not be surprised if there is a quote unquote mass shooting in the next several weeks, in the next couple months, maybe even in the next year that gets a ton of publicity and that the left will weaponize and say that it was racially. Um, racially motivated, or that it was a hate crime, and they are going to use it to label it as white nationalism or white supremacy, and that is the vehicle that they are going to create to pass their gun control bill. And what happens? This. Mm -hmm. And so what, what I was trying to reiterate to him is that, in my personal belief, I do not believe for a second that the government... Uh, that the government would not plan something like this to pass destructive policy because we have seen them weaponize COVID. We have seen them weaponize all these other terrible things that we have experienced over the last several years. And they do it time and time again. And they always do it because there's some sort of underlying motivation for them to do something that infringes on everybody else's rights. I'm sorry, that was a long rant. Yeah. But well, no, I, li I actually like that you brought up the pulse shooting uh, because that is a, it's a really good point as to they say it was a hate crime or whatever. But, you know, they don't bring up the fact that he was a radical Islamist and all this other stuff. So it's, it's almost like he's on that intersectionality. Uh, he's, he's on that scoreboard or whatever. He's low on that total pull. He's he's a little he's lower than the gay people, unfortunately, for him. So, you know, when they die, it matters more than when he dies. But uh the left is still going to ignore the fact that, you know, radical Islam had, you know, maybe a, uh, a part in that. What I want to reiterate too, real quick is the fact that, um, you know, my educational background, I studied international affairs, but I primarily focused on the areas of government violence towards its citizens of terrorism and uh, of torture. Those were the things that I focused on within my realm of education. And so when I talk about terrorism, 
I'm the way that I was educated and the way that I was taught to look at things is that there are several thresholds that need to be met for things to be classified the way that they are. And when this pulse shooting happened, I immediately saw people jumping to the fact that it was a hate crime and that and and that was the end of it. It was end of story. There was going to be no further discussion on that. And it upset me because I feel like people could have understood the situation and grasped a lot more of what happened if they looked at it more objectively and looked at some of these thresholds that I was taught um, when I was in school. Because if you look at those thresholds, think puzzle pieces start to fit and things start to make a lot more sense. And so when I say that, I'm, I'm not saying that to um, diminish the LGBT community and what they went through, because obviously that was terrible. You know, the entire city of Orlando obviously pulled together when that happened, um, and it brought us as a city a lot closer together. But what I'm trying to tell you is that simply labeling things as a hate crime or jumping to conclusions without taking into effect, uh, taking into account all these different factors and external variables that exist is negligent. And it prevents you from understanding how it happened, um, how it could happen again, and how you can prevent it. Yeah, I'd, you know, they, they blast around the word hate crime a lot. And I just want to ask, somebody made this point. It's, it's like, isn't every crime a hate crime? Don't you have to hate somebody to want to commit a crime against them? That's pretty much all it is. And by bringing race into it, I mean, whether or not you murder somebody because of their race or because you want to rob them, you know, it's still murder. So I don't see why it should be a whole different category or why you're committing a hate crime, even if you don't commit a crime. It's just, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. It's like, you know, there's two parts to that word, hate and crime. Well, yeah, because if a, if a, if a, uh, if an off duty cop went and killed a black guy because the black guy raped his wife or something like that, and then, you know, the media gets a hold of that. They're going to say, oh, the police officer's racist. And they're yes. not even going to take into account the fact that um, the victim of the shooting or the killing or the murder had committed a crime that violated the rights of, of somebody else. And so that's completely off the table. And that's not part of the discussion. And that's what I'm talking about when people jump to conclusions is that there's always multiple parts to the story that people leave out or conveniently want to forget. Yeah. and. And speaking of parts that people want to forget, and you were talking about Pulse, there's speculation that Omar Martin, this guy that shot up the Pulse nightclub, there's speculation that he himself was gay. And uh, much like the... I remember that. Yeah. And much like the, you know, the massage parlor guy, he's really just, it's, it's almost like he's trying to fight or suppress that feeling and lashing out against his very addiction. And... Uh, you know, they're not going to say that Omar Martin, the Pulse nightclub shooter, was racist because he's a Muslim or whatever. He, they're just going to say he hates he hates gays. But the massage guy is a racist because he's white. And just like the Omar Martin thing, you know, the whole sex addiction with the uh, that being a reason possibly for the shooting, all that's going to get buried by the media because, you know, like I said, they see Asian people dead and they're like they, they rub their hands. They're like, oh, my God, this is this is perfect. And so obviously, you know, this plays back into this whole, again, this why we're naming this episode the way that we're naming it is this overarching uh, idea of control. Yeah, they're not promoting universal rights. They're not promoting real equality. They know that's all really just a pipe dream for their childish voters. Uh, these Democrats are the real racist. 
they're they're born of the semi- southern democrats you know like the clintons etc and uh they're inspired by the works and the words of genocidal socialists like uh che guevara and uh pol pot and stuff like that it's absolutely crazy but they want you know you think about bernie sanders going to the soviet union and stuff it's crazy but they want society to be as separated and as weak as possible so that they can retain control and that's that's what they're doing with all these bills with getting rid of the filibuster and all this and taking all these race issues and really jumping on them they're just trying to piss everybody off against each other and another way they do this is by going around and blaming other people for the exact things they do so for example racism and another thing is russian collusion so like you know biden's ties to ukraine and stuff and they were always going after trump it's like come on but whatever happened to he who smelt it dealt it it's 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 literally the same thing it's the democrats they're just they're just farting all the time and people don't care and then people are like wow the republicans really smell don't they yeah and it, it's a funny way to interpret everything but it's still very true they they maintain control by convincing the populace that their neighbors and the other people around them are to blame for what they themselves are doing everything they do reeks of racism and manipulation tactics and it's sad to see that so many people have bought into this lie that their policies are somehow productive and bring about all of this change that they talk about when all they're really doing is creating class warfare, racial warfare and political warfare. Um and when I when I bring up those terms what I'm talking about are are things like hating people for not being black enough, for not being Asian enough, for not for just for being white more recently or hating people for how much money they make or hating people for how much money they don't make. You know, um, we've seen very recently the last couple years uh, eat the rich, uh, feed the poor, you know, that kind of um, idea. We're going to take away the wealth that these people have built for themselves. And we're going to use that to give to the poor who not all of the time, but some of the time are to blame for the own circumstances that they're in, and then they want to leech off the system and blame everybody else for their problems. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that for uh, that's the case for everybody, but I'm saying that is the case for a lot of people. And that's part of the problem is that the left is breeding hate, and the left is teaching everybody to hate their neighbors for their race, for uh, their occupation, for the amount of money that they make, simply for being their neighbor. And that's the problem. And that's how we've seen time and time again, all these genocides and all these these terrible dictators throughout history have taken power. And that's the way that they do it is by breeding hatred and by convincing people to hate the people around them rather than those people uniting because the government understands that a people divided is, is better than a people who are united because they're too busy fighting themselves to realize what the actual problem is. Yeah, and the separate graduation ceremonies are definitely a great example of pretty much everything you just said is like separating people by class and uh, you know just creating problems out of nothing essentially and moving backwards in time really. I it, this episode is definitely going to be a long one um and we've we've got one more segment for you guys that we wanted to get to this week just because it's relevant and it just happened which was the Grammys. That's the last thing we wanted to touch on today was uh, the degenerate display that was the Grammys. Tom and I were both lucky enough not to see it. So if we miss any important details, uh, please let us know. But Tom, you can go ahead and get into that if you want. Yeah, so from what I've heard, uh, Cardi B and Megan The Stallion performed that song, Wet Ass Pussy. 
or WAP as they abbreviate it for the children and basically grinded on each other the whole time. I mean, like this is this is primetime TV. What the hell's going on? This is it's sex on TV, violence in movies, sex on TV. The FCC is a joke. Well, yeah, it's a joke. And uh, obviously they're receiving tons of complaints from viewers. And I agree a lot with their sentiment. You know, a song like that regardless of whether you bleep things out, should not be shown to children. The song doesn't have to be explicit to be implicit. Um, and I mean, I get it. It's entertainment for guys who get a boner from this and girls who think it's hilarious to joke about opening your legs wide open. It's crazy, but I guess regardless, cooch and cock grabbing aren't really a new thing on primetime TV. I mean, look at the Super Bowl and uh, reward shows of past. Even just researching the whole Cardi B thing, they were like, oh, you know, this didn't get as much uh, complaints as the whole Justin Timberlake incident of 20 years ago or whatever. But I guess now people have just kind of lowered their standards for uh, what's the, you know, the sexual threshold for TV. And another thing, too, is I don't think a lot of people are really watching the Grammys anymore. And it's almost like this kind of benefits them because you're you're generating more interest and more buzzwords about the topic or whatever, because people uh, otherwise think it's bullshit. Yeah, it's kind of funny to me, too, that uh, this that kind of stuff is what they allow on TV now when uh, in years past, very recent years past, they've tried to cancel shows like South Park, Family Guy, The Simpsons. Um, I saw a lot of people on Twitter talking about this today and the fact that people were asking why those shows hadn't been victims of cancel culture yet. And a lot of people were saying those shows are uncancelable. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I saw a TikTok the other day. It's like, what what was the most racist scene that you've seen in uh, a TV show that's still in production today? And it was a Family Guy episode where Peter is the king of the black people because <laughs> he says the it, it, this, this was back in 2012 when everybody thought the world was going to end. Uh, Seth MacFarlane did an episode where um, it's 2012 and the world is going to end. And Peter said, well... Before the world ends, I'm going to go to the inner city and yell the N-word as loud as I can. And he comes back with a crown and a sash that says King of Black People. And he says, they respected me for saying it. And it's like, in today's culture, that would be viewed as extremely racist for Seth MacFarlane doing that and everything, and yet these shows continue to remain in production, but they're still victims of cancel culture and the fact that people have attempted to cancel these shows time and time and time again, and they're rather unsuccessful at it because the shows are, are just, they're very well written. Um, tons of people watch them. Tons of people enjoy them. They've been on TV since the late 90s. They've got history with a lot of people, and a lot of people will um, will accept that. And it goes to show you that leftists sit in this echo chamber that's been created for them and think that everybody thinks the same way that they do. But in reality, there it's anything but the case. There are a lot of people um, that can let stuff like that roll off their back and ha have a laugh about it and everything. But I want to go back to, you're talking about the Grammys and everything and the ratings. According to the Washington Post, the Grammys hit a record low of only 8.8 .8 million viewers on Sunday night, um, which was down 53% from last year's 18.7 million viewers, which is an all-time record low viewing for the uh, uh, in the award show's history, um, which is hilarious because many, if not all of these viewers 
have not been able to see any of these mainstream artists perform live in over a year now, and the ratings were still this low. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And um, it, what really angers me, I guess they get what they deserve with the with the low ratings or whatever, but what really angers me is the fact that the Grammys are promoting artists like Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion, all the while companies that you know that own the awards shows and the networks that are hosting it are actively chasing this shadow of what they call white supremacy and they're and they're just obviously banning or uh trying to destroy people's careers because they they said something that can be deemed insensitive but now we have people literally committing sexual acts on TV you know this is prime time TV that any kid could just accidentally flip on um that probably honestly I don't know what the uh you know, like they, they have like the, the age rating for TV. Like, I don't know if it was like TV 12 or anything, but it shouldn't have been PG. It, like it, it should be. What do you uh, know? Uh, networks like Cartoon Network and uh, Nickelodeon even host some of these award shows as well. Like they'll um, they're not directly produced by said networks, but they will host them on their channel. So they will they will live stream whatever award ceremony on those networks. And so you're talking about Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network and Disney Channel and all, all these other uh, networks that are marketed towards youth, towards kids um, that will host award ceremonies that feature stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, that's just gross. And yeah, I know they have the kids award ceremonies and it's always like they, they get some girl to host it or whatever and she's hot and whatever and they it's always i don't know it's always some sort of sexual tension when it comes to tv and uh trying to get people to listen to you and uh broadcast or whatever but i even saw that i think it was on youtube that cardi b has a new show starring her she just goes around and it's like cardi b tries uh race car driving cardi b tries uh meth i don't know but it's it, the show just stars her and it's just her and the extent to which it is is funny to people is just because she has this personality that's literally just the ah, blah, 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 and it's so god it's probably the most goddamn annoying thing ever but um what pisses me off is all this comes at the same time that these videos that i want to watch which are not sexually explicit or implicit at all are being shut down off of youtube and yet there aren't tens of thousands of people complaining to the fcc about Alex Jones or Milo Yiannopoulos. Um, I'm just using them as an example because they're two of the people that really got made an, an example of in the first round of when YouTube was cleansing their platform and Twitter was kicking off people because of what they deem hate. You know, they, they, they shut down Alex Jones and Milo instantly, but they don't care that the FCC is complaining about people doing this shit on live TV. You actually have to go and search up Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos, or like, uh, yeah, alt-right stuff to even find it. It's not being shoved in your face. It's not on the YouTube homepage. But yet, you can just scroll through TV and, uh, you know, on primetime TV, there's people grabbing their cooch. You know, you're allowed to see it and it's not even an issue. And even with these videos, like, if you accept the YouTube narrative that they're quote-unquote false information or inciting insurrection or whatever you want, you can look at the terms of service or of YouTube or whatever platform. And even with those, uh, these social media companies have a hard time justifying banning a person. I mean, even like Jack Dorsey had to bring his lawyer on uh, when he was on Rogan and Tim Pool was because he knew Tim Pool was going to be on and Tim Pool was just going to grill him. And the whole the whole funny thing is that Joe Rogan didn't grill uh, Dorsey enough the first time. But 
they they stumble on their words. They can't justify what they do because it's just evil actions, just shutting down people, ruining their lives. And a great example of this is Owen Benjamin, who's a comedian, used to be friends with Joe Rogan, used to be friends with Alex Jones, but he was canceled from those people even before those people, quote unquote, got canceled. So this guy, I mean, he's banned off of all social, uh, major social media, and they gave shady reasoning, of course, because they don't like his opinions. And what he did is he ended up suing Patreon because his fan base actually was legally skilled and went through Patreon's terms of service and said, Patreon can't do this, basically with the private contract that you have with, you know, with the terms of service. And luckily, there's enough people that were trying to donate to him through Patreon and everything whose, whose funds were canceled, um, that they were able to go and get a class action suit going and take it on to Patreon. But even so, it's like they're not going to let him back on Patreon or YouTube or whatever. Uh, you know, even if you prove you're right, they just want whatever garbage they want you to see. And they, they want to put that on the homepage of YouTube. They want to put Cardi B on the homepage of YouTube. They want to put, uh, you know, people uh, shoving food in their face. They want to put Fauci on the, on the homepage of YouTube. There's always a section that's coronavirus. And you go and you look on the homepage of YouTube and it's all these people. It's like, who the hell are you? Like, you have no credibility when it comes to this. And it's just some random person. And they're they get it all surprised. They get an interview with Fauci. Holy shit! Like, I mean, can you can you make a more fake media? Well, I I've talked about Eric July several times on the podcast before. I haven't kept up with his um, podcast or his show as of recently. I've had too much stuff going on. But every time I scroll through Twitter, I do see him tweeting various different things. And um, one of the last times that I watched his show, he was talking about. One of the episodes that he did uh, very recently, I want to say it was a hundred third or a hundred fourth episode of his podcast that he was talking about. Um, he talked about COVID again, and the after the podcast aired, it goes to it gets put on a tab that's specifically labeled for his podcast, where people can go back and rewatch it um, if they miss the show. And after it got sent to that tab. YouTube striked it and took it down for COVID misinformation. And what ended up happening, he's lucky that he has the following that he does and has the ability to make enough noise on social media that um, he created enough noise to stir a response from YouTube's action enforcement team. And YouTube actually ended up removing the strike because they reviewed his show because he was reading articles straight from WHO, straight from CDC, off of their website. He even um, he has a live video feed that he does his show when he does it live that you can watch as he talks and everything. And he had what he was reading. He had it pulled up on screen. And so they could see that he was reading it directly from the WHO, directly from the CDC. And they ended up removing the strike and they said, sorry, we apologize. Um, there's no misinformation in the show. We're sorry that we strike your account. The strike has been removed, that kind of thing. And then very recently, I saw again, I, I, I can't remember if it was this week or last week, they striked his account again. And so it, it sparked the same response from his, um, from his following on Instagram and on Twitter. They made enough noise to get the attention of YouTube's enforcement team again. And it was the same case. The strike was removed because the claim of misinformation about COVID uh, was false and that it was it it ended up not being the case and that the strike was removed and the episode was reinstated to the website. But that's the problem that we're talking about is that 
the way that these social media networks are now set up is that anything you talk about is misinformation. Anything that you say or do that isn't straight from Lord Dr. Fauci's mouth is, is slander and is incorrect and has to be removed. And you have to, you know, if you're somebody like me or Tom that maybe doesn't necessarily have a super big following on social media platforms, you know, uh, we don't have the ability to get those kinds of strikes or anything removed. It's kind of, uh, we're kind of screwed at that point. Whereas somebody like Eric July, somebody like Owen Benjamin, who have the ability, who have the following to make noise and to get people's attention, can can get these strikes removed and can get their content reinstated. But it's sad that that's what we've come to, is that everything is false information or misinformation. Everything that isn't straight from Dr. Fauci's mouth is wrong. And, uh, you know, that's where we're at. And it, it's an example that we keep trying to hammer home, which is that any and all opposing thought, especially in entertainment, is being completely wiped off the board and censored at every corner. They're creating the echo chambers that they want to create in every single area of culture that they can, whether that's gaming, we've talked about that on the show, um, cinema, music, sports, politics, you name it, dude. They're, they're coming up with ways to create these echo chambers, and uh, they're trying to create an environment where nobody is allowed to think for themselves anymore. Like I said before, they're mm -hmm. trying to turn us into mindless robots that all think the same until we get a new firmware update and then we're taught to think something else. That's how they want everybody to, to be moving forward. And it's sad that more people don't realize this. Yeah, definitely. And uh, and it's nice to hear about Eric July that his, his strike was removed because obviously as a libertarian, he's going to be constantly scrutinized and uh, really be under the eye of these social media companies. And it's honestly like once in a blue moon, really, for YouTube to remove a strike. You know, they're they're really generous in giving them out because um, it only takes them a fraction of a second for the algorithm to hear that you're saying something about COVID. And then they put the you know the oh COVID misinformation or whatever on your video or or somebody reports your video. It only takes a fraction of a second, but to fight it or to create a new video that you know that takes money, that takes time, that takes reading, that takes in Eric July's case, you know, maybe creating a whole new video to explain to them why they're wrong. And a lot of times, even if you do, you don't win. So it just sucks. And uh, going along with the theme of our other episodes really is just libertarians and conservatives or just anybody who doesn't subscribe to this cultural Marxism that all these corporations and government are pushing. We need to, we need to step back and we need to really, from the ground up, create vertically. We need to create every single piece of the supply chain for ourselves because we can't rely on these other people we can't have dependence on the liberals who want to cut off our our rights uh the second that they get power you know they want to take your children away from you if you don't agree with gender reassignment and stuff like that so they just want to seize the power and th they're saying it's for you and that's pretty much the theme of the whole episode is they they take the power they say they're going to help you with it and then they screw you over every time and definition of insanity it's just people are doing the same thing over and over and just again, before we end here, um, just because we just brought Eric July up, um, again, I, I've, um, I've talked about this on previous episodes, is this idea of, the, of culture that he talks about constantly. If you follow him on any social media, he's constantly talking about this because he says this is where the battle is going to be fought and this is where 
people need to pay attention and people need to start being more productive, especially if you're a libertarian or you, or, or you are libertarian minded, um, is the, the idea of culture and the fact that the left has control on every facet of culture at the moment. The left has control over music, over cinema, over sports, politics, gaming, uh, you name it. They have people that are very well known and are very big advocates of that kind of ideology in those spaces that bring a lot of these people to the leftist agenda and get them to go along with it or accept it. And, you know, he, he's very correct in bringing that up as a topic of conversation and a crucial area that libertarians need to, libertarians, conservatives alike need to pay attention to is the fact that that's where um, we can focus our efforts in trying to build up content creators in gaming who are libertarian, build up libertarian, uh, you know, movie directors, build up libertarian musical artists, um, libertarians in sports or in politics. You were just saying is that we need to create these methods of production and these methods of media and culture for ourselves because ideologies like ours um, and many other people's are being just completely wiped off, wiped off the board entirely. We're being censored in public discourse. Nobody wants to hear what we have to say. Nobody wants to hear an opinion that differs from their own. And that's the problem. And so that's, you know, that's our our overall idea this episode is this idea of the democratic method and the democratic plan to control the United States and the world um, and control the way that we think. And that's what we do. We're trying to get you guys to think about things and look at things in, uh, in a different light and see things from a different perspective. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I think that's a really great place to end off right there. Uh, this episode was definitely, uh, we had some notes jotted down, but we definitely went off the cuff with a lot of things, and uh, we're definitely very passionate about it because we kept, you know, going on and on, and especially me this time. <laughs> but I, I definitely think this episode was a banger, and I think that you know, hopefully, our followers realize, see the writing on the wall, basically, of what is happening and how politics and everything is just going one direction, and that's pretty much south. Well, it's left, but it's it's the direction is south. Well, like I said, at least my my preparation on my own was very spotty this week, um, and we did go off the cuff with a lot of this. But like Tom said, we are very very passionate, and we we do um, try to make things as accurate as possible, and try to give you guys the most detailed information and, and give you guys uh, a new and fresh perspective and a different way to look at things than you may normally look at them. But yeah. Like Tom said, thank you for listening. We appreciate everybody that listens to us week after week. We're very sorry that this episode went on for as long as it did, but we hope you guys enjoy the content. And until then, be easy. Peace. Have a good weekend. Have a good one, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Free For All podcast. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow and subscribe to the show and connect with us on Instagram to keep up to date with all the latest content. Peace.